I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Sit, boo-boo, sit, boo-boo, sit. Girl, I do That's some bad hat hair. Not a doctor. Bye, have a beautiful from your life. Hello and welcome to Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing Watchmen Season 1. Mm-hmm. Damask Leary, how you doing? I'm good, except I've recently come to the realisation that I probably need a break from true crime. Oh. in the last three nights I've woken up in the middle of the night convinced that someone's in the house trying to kill me. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah, so I, I need a little break. Uh, but other than that, I'm fine. How are you, bro? I'm hot. I'm yeah, you are, girl. Mm. Tired. Mm-hmm. I'm emotionally devastated. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's, I make that sound more serious than it is. Listen, the 19th of December 2019 is going to live in infamy in my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those who don't know, that was the release date of The Rise of Skywalker in Australia. Yes. And, uh, yeah. We went together. Lest, lest we forget. Uh, that was I mean, I've already forgotten. I think <laughs> I would, yeah, absolutely. In my mind, just a forgettable evening. I don't want to lead the witness here. I don't want to get on this for too long right now. Maybe this is something we could talk about in our next Off-Topic Hot Topic. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done this in the past with movies that we're passionate about. Yes. Um, but I will, I'll say without any spoilers... I'm thoroughly disappointed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm and so it's also sorry. ridiculously hot here in, in Melbourne right now, and Australia yeah. in general, and the world apparently. Um, yeah, Australia's know, on fire. We're just baking. But our Prime Minister's Have a on great holiday. time in Hawaii. Good yeah. for him, huh? What a dickhead. Just, just fucking hell. Can we just remove him from power, please? Yeah, it's time. What's yeah. the impeachment process in Australia? Not that that's removed Trump from office, but he got impeached. So that's oh, kinda, that's, that's nice. something. Something. I don't know. Can the Governor-General just do what he did to... And just kick him out. Come on. Come on, Liz. Do us one more solid, please. Liz ain't going to do it. It's got to be the her man. Yeah, but it's her Her man. Her woman? I don't even know. I don't remember. This shows how engaged we are with politics Mm. outside of our prime ministers leaving for overseas holidays. (laughs) What I wanted to ask was what have you been listening to or watching that's true crime that's got you so on edge? Oh, just the usuals of like last podcast on the left. Um, My favorite. Murder. Um, I while I was hungover, I watched the Netflix series about Dirty John, which I'd already listened to the podcast about Dirty John, but I thought I'd watch the yep. True Crime Doco. Is that the I'm, one with Eric Banner? No, so there was a dramatization, dramatization, but right. there's also like a a docu series on it. Just con- I'm just constantly watching watching it. There's really. a new one apparently on there. Something about don't mess with cats. I don't. Oh, remember it the just of it. came out. I haven't watched it yet. But yeah. yeah. We tried, we sort of, it came up mm. and I was watching, watching this with Steph last night and she just said, well, we're going to flick through some things. Like, oh, I want to see the trailer for this. Mm. And got about 15 seconds in and said, I can't watch this. 
whatever this is, the premise is so upsetting that I just can't watch it. Mm. I'm with her on that. I don't know if I'm yeah. going to watch it either, but maybe something else to Do you know what it's about? Um, uh, I don't want to say for sure, but the trailer gave me the implication mm. of something and I'm don't yeah. I'm, worried I'm pretty about sure I know what it's about. It's like, yeah, this online video appears of yeah. someone like torturing and killing yes. cats. Yes. Um, which leads to like internet sleuths finding out who it is. Um, and I believe that person ends up being like a murderer. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I think that's what it's about. And it's about internet sleuths, as in you're saying this is not like police detectives or something no, like no, that. No, no, it's like people on the internet being so angry that this person is fucked with cats that they hunt them down, find out who it is. And I believe it. Um, there is something bigger going on. That may not be true, but that's what I Note garnered. to the Netflix marketing department. The way Damask just pick, pitched this makes me want to watch it now. Okay. The way that trailer starts... I mean, the way I pitched it may not be accurate, but my, I think that's what happened. <laughs> still, who cares? Yeah. Um, but the, the trailer, the way it's set up, yeah. it just the implication is so upsetting so early that mm. I think you're going to lose a lot of people before yeah. you even get them because to start. Because in all of like the kind of rundowns that I've read, they describe the person as a murderer. Sure. Which tells me that they've killed people, right? Um, I don't know. It depends... Where you are on that sort yeah. of like animal rights line, I guess. I mean, I either way. I, think I mean, you if you're can tracking murder down an it, animal, but just the way that it was posited sure. made me believe that they. Yeah, it turns yeah. out that they were. If they're not saying an animal killer, yeah, they say murderer. Yeah. That has like legal implications. That's a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Okay, you've kind of sold me on that one. Oh, well, there you go. It was not my intention, but there you go. Just don't watch the, tra- the tra- yeah Netflix. Work on your marketing department stuff. Uh, let's get to our spoiler-free review of Watchmen season one. Let me clue you in. Season in review. Watchmen is an American superhero drama television series that continues the 1987 DC comic series Watchmen, created by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. The TV series was created by Damien Lindelof of Lost, Tomorrowland and The Leftovers fame for HBO, with Lindelof as executive producer and writer. Watchmen takes place 34 years after the events of the comics within the same alternate reality and focuses on events surrounding racial tensions in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 2019, where a white supremacist group called the 7th Cavalry has taken up arms against the masked Tulsa Police Department. The show stars Regina King, Don Johnson, Tim Blake Nelson, Yaha Abdul-Martin II, Dylan Shombing, Louis Gossett Jr., Jeremy Irons, Gene Smart, and Hong Chow. Watchmen Season 1 consists of nine episodes, each coming in at around 59 minutes and took us approximately eight hours and 50 minutes to watch. There has been no official confirmation of Watchmen returning for a second season, and Damien Lindelof has strongly suggested that he would not be returning if it were to continue. So, Damask, before Mm. we get to our reviews of the season, Mm -hmm. what's your relationship, what are your thoughts on the original 1987 uh, Watchmen comic book series slash graphic novel? Yeah, well, I hadn't read it at all and then when I was in my I think my first year of uni or something like that Watchmen the film came out mm-hmm. and I went to watch it at the cinema by myself. Oh, so you saw the movie before you read yeah, the yeah. comic series. On a, on a break between classes I went and saw it and it made me so depressed. I had to go home. I was walking through the city afterwards and I just like had lost all faith in humanity. It made me so depressed. It was actually quite scary. Wow. Um, so I had a visceral... How old would you have been at the time to have interest? Oh, like 2021, something yep. like that. Um, and then I was interested in it, obviously, because there was like, you know, criticisms about the film compared to the graphic novel. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, I'll buy the graphic novel and read it, which I did and I very much enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're... But I don't have a negative 
feeling about the film. Sure. I just I quite like them both for different reasons. Okay. Yeah. So but you're it sounds like you're more of a fan of the graphic novel. Oh yes. Generally? Yeah. yeah. Cool. I think it's a better realized story. Totally. And more interesting. Yeah. Sure. Um yeah, I think similar at a similar time in my life, I probably was, yeah, early years of university. Mm. I was starting to like delve into comic books a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um and then Watchmen's one of those ones, like those touchstone ones you've got to read. Yeah. And so I read through that. A few years later, while I was still at uni, the movie came out. I don't dislike the movie. I think it's maybe faithful to a fault, mm-hmm. except for one big change, which I actually think is a smart adaptive change for the film, mm-hmm. um, which I won't spoil. But that, I think, is actually works quite well. I think people have problems with that, but I think it, in the context of that movie, it works quite well. Mm. Um, but overall, I thought, yeah, it was almost like, uh, yeah, uh, adapt- so true to a fault that it almost didn't have its own identity. Mm-hmm. The comic book I quite enjoy. Um, I haven't really returned to it since then. So, 10 or so years have passed since I've read it's the been, original. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read it. It's interesting to think about who I was at the time, what I was interested in at the time, mm-hmm. what my thoughts on the world and politics and stuff were like at the time. Mm-hmm. I'd be very interested to go back and reread it at mm-hmm. some stage. I've, I've been inspired by the TV show to eventually do that. I've been flipping through little sections here and there, just looking for little like clues and references and stuff like that where they belong. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally, I'm a fan of it and definitely high hold it in high esteem, particularly in the world of like comic books and graphic novel novel literature, as everybody who is a fan of that medium does. Mm, I think, yeah, simply changing my perspective on, I guess, the possibilities of that genre. Of what that medium can do. Yeah. Um, certainly inspired, I guess, a lot of the darker interpretations that we have now. Um, and you can kind of see echoes of that the further we delve into the darkness of what superheroes are. But I think... This show and the graphic novel originally, nothing's ever, to me, those darker versions have been quite as interesting as Watchmen. Sure. Mm. And like the legacy of Watchmen is that it is like the touchstone seminal graphic novel book now. Like everything, yeah. everything that that the medium does now, everyone goes back. It's like The Sopranos with TV. Mm. Everyone goes and like The Sopranos was like the start of peak TV and very much Watchmen was sort of like started a, a shift in comic books. And the something I haven't read though, I haven't read any of the sequel or prequel things. I can't remember what they are. I didn't even know they In the existed. last five years or so, there has been DC went and did, I think it's either called After Watchmen or Before Watchmen. I want to say Before Watchmen, like a prequel series. Mm. Um, I don't know how well they were received. I think they've integrated the Watchmen back into the DC universe as well. So they're trying to like, I don't know how well that's considered canon. Yeah. But I think most people would just ignore that if they didn't like it and just, yeah. Yeah. Which brings us to the TV show. Mm-hmm. So, a television show sequel series to this beloved comic book, and it mm-hmm. is importantly, I think, a series to the comic book uh, sequel to the comic book, not the movie. Yes. Um, what did you think of Watchmen season one? I would describe this show as absolutely absurd, but emotionally honest. It's filled with fun and energetic world building, while simultaneously being depressing and horrifying, which is pretty true to the graphic novel it's based on. Uh, Trauma creates loneliness and everyone in this show is lonely, whether they want to admit it or not. We have intergenerational trauma. We have the trauma felt when losing your faith. We have trauma from experiencing institutionalised bigotry and prejudice. We have trauma from losing loved ones. There's a shit ton of the stuff going around. What bonds us all is how we deal with it, though. We hide, we lie, we act out in bouts of irrational action. 
The characters are all in a frenzied sprint away from what has hurt them, not knowing where they're running, only aware of what's chasing them. And that takes us to some pretty interesting places. The characters we meet in this show are murky, complicated, funny, terrifying, and always fascinating to watch. This show is fucking weird, and that is delightful. It's a refreshing way to end television in 2019. I think many of us have experienced disappointments in the shows we watched over the last 12 months, so it was nice to see something that reignited my love for the medium in two ways that I find most important. One, it allows for the feeling of connection that we're all experiencing life in a way that binds us in big and little ways. Television can and should be, in my opinion, an empathy machine. And two, excitement for the medium itself. TV's expanding nature, willingness to adapt and give space for auteurs to tell long-form narratives that they otherwise couldn't in new and cool ways. That's what I love about television and this show gives me it in spades. Watchmen does both of those things wonderfully and I really enjoyed myself. I would definitely recommend. Very nice. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think even the idea of making this show is insane to begin with. Mm. I can't... It's hard to imagine... Like, there are very few properties out there that haven't been sequelized to death. Things that people truly beloved mm. that haven't been attempted to be, like, made and remade and continued for in, in some way. Mm-hmm. And Watchmen's one of those ones that's somehow gone 30-something years and has been adapted into a movie and that's about it. Apart from some of these comic things I'm talking about, which people don't seem to really think about too much. Mm. Or it's not talked about a lot. And so, then to make a HBO television series continuation mm. of that... Seems ill-advised, maybe is the word for it. You'd have to be a very brave person to be doing it, and based on what I heard or from or very Danny, stupid, which or I very think stupid, is which the is fear. Yeah. is always a possibility as well. You're just trying to cash in on something popular without mm. understanding it. Yep. They got Damien Lindelof involved. Damien Lindelof, sorry, who I mean, on my copy of Watchmen, he's got a pull quote on the on the yeah, back mine too. saying how much he loves this this story, um, and but then again, Damien Lindelof has not always been my favourite writer or creator either. Mm-hmm. I've had problems with Lost, Tomorrowland, things like that have not always been my favourite of his. Um, and yeah, so there's some questions going in as to what, how well this could be. That pressure, I, it, I, I'm baffled that they were able to make something that is somehow faithful, that feels truthful and like a real continuation that makes sense, that it seems of the time now and is not shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, it is extremely impressive though to make something that was this good at all. I think partly it begins because the show is very, very good at doing something very, very hard to do well, and that is its world building. This alternate history USA, a lot of the groundwork is done for it because it's building off what Alan Moore did in the original comic mm. book, obviously. Um, but they still have to run with that and make it feel like an organic continuation. They are answering, just by pr- having this at all, they are answering questions as to what happened after the very... Um, famous finale of that comic book. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of pressure to do that and to mm. present that world. And the way it's not only brilliantly fleshed out, but the way it's given to you piecemeal so that it unfolds organically and you are hearing terms and mm. catching glimpses at things that don't immediately make sense, but then you are rewarded by paying attention yeah. and continuing it's to listen. It's how you do in. world building well. Far out, man. Mm. It is great. And it, yeah. it completely engages you as an audience ma- member and keeps you intrigued in what's happening because you... It never like it because it's just that little slanted 
just off what we already know, sort of alternate reality. I'll always like those where it's like really familiar, but just a little bit different that it feels mm. weird and enough to keep you interested. The fact that just the cars are all electric is even just interesting to me. Like they're driving cars and it's like, oh, there are no engine sounds whatsoever mm. is enough to just make this feel eerily different. Um, but also seem familiar. Very, very interesting. Setting it also, they're using real events from history that I was not aware of were I have a no thing. no idea, yeah. Which seems nuts based on what they are, and we'll get to those in spoilers. Mm. I mean, Australia can't even reckon with its own history of violence against people of colour. So Absolutely. I'm not surprised that we haven't heard of it. We don't know about this yeah. part of American history. But to, to take this, again, existing franchise, existing story, beloved story... And then go back through real American history, find mm. this event, and then build your narrative off that into 2019. Bold, mm-hmm. if nothing else. And I applaud it for sure. There is a very mystery box element to this, which again, Lindelof is known for. Mm. Though, satisfyingly, I I think he understood, and in general, HBO must have been on board with, not making this drag on for multiple seasons. This is going to be a self-contained thing. Maybe there'll be mm-hmm. more, maybe there isn't. But by the end of it, it feels whole. It doesn't feel like I'm being strung along for the sake of being strung along. And perhaps like his history of creating a mystery box show, Mm -hmm. the lesson learned there is that mystery box in and of itself is not satisfying. No. Without a conclusion that people where you can see all the connections like, oh, like it, it repays you for paying attention instead of just dragging you through the mud for 15 fucking seasons. Yeah. 100%. And most importantly, I think this show is truly about something or about multiple somethings. Mm. Just the idea of the cops having masks mm-hmm. is full of thematic um, richness. There is a lot to explore there as to what that means to a society to have the cops be unidentifiable. What that means is a pro for their safety. What that means is a negative for the rest of society. What that means about people who wear masks, which is absolutely what the original Watchmen was talking about as well. Mm-hmm. It dives into that with all their characters very, very richly and deeply. And much like the original comic was about the politics of the time, has updated its political um, stories to current day mm. and is daring to talk about, if nothing else, race in a really, really important way. This show is very, very much about race, about race relations in America. And if that sounds too political for you, I'd say get out now because that's what this show is. And I found it extremely interesting to delve into this entire season. It's well explored. Um yeah, it's just beautifully written and beautifully put together this whole show. It's strange as well. Like, it doesn't mind being weird. In fact, mm. it revels in being weird, is playful, and is original, um, which is an incredible thing to do as well. To make a sequel to an ongoing series and somehow to be original in and of yourself and to justify your existence as a sequel to Watchmen, I'm having a hard time sort of putting it all together without going to spoilers. Mm. But just to say, I think it's very, very, very well made, extremely enjoyable to watch. I was uh, completely engaged the whole way through and I definitely recommend this to people to watch. Even if even if you haven't seen the original Watchmen, I think they give you all the parts you need to know. Mm. Yeah. Cool. What's your final score out of five stars? Um, We've had many a discussion about what this point system means. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we both agree that five means masterful. Is that right? 
Yes. yes. Absolutely. It's like it's not the idea that it's perfect, but that it yeah. is masterfully made. And I think that speaks to this show, so I'm giving it a five. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to give it a four and a half. Mm. Um, if I have any quibbles, it's maybe with how it sticks the landing a mm-hmm. little bit in the last episode. Not that it does; it's cheating or anything like that. It doesn't do anything mm-hmm. well. It's just like maybe some of the little the places it chooses to leave the story maybe okay. aren't as fully. Yeah, for something so thematically rich, yeah, um, where it leaves us makes you go, oh, it's almost too pat. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's almost too, and then that's. Like, that's a criticism I never thought I'd throw at Damien Lindelof is that you did too good a job at wrapping up your storylines. No, I think it's difficult because of the, um, the what's the word? The mystery box. Not the mystery box, but what Watchmen is. Sure. Both in the graphic novel and the story they're telling here, which is kind of subverts so much and it's dark and it's murky and that's what it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. And so to have an ending in a show and a graphic novel about that stuff Mm -hmm. that both narratively is satisfying. It's really hard to balance. Um, Yeah, so I think it's going to be a difficult thing to land anyway. I was happy with what they did, but I I can see mm, not the best. But still, I think, a a great ending. And I think if you just want to talk about this in terms of original, bold television, the sort Mm. of television you want to see more of, I understand your excitement for what this is or what it's trying to do and does very successfully. And it is super fun. I had um, housemates and stuff who were coming in and sort of like dipping in here and there, Mm. which is not a way I would recommend watching Watchmen. But even they who would that like, the funny thing is what would happen is they'd sit down and be like episode three, episode four, and they'd go, What's going on? Mm. And I'd explain to them sort of what goes to this point and realize just how much that involved that was as I was saying mm. it. And then they'd go, ah, oh. and like come in and out and mm. still be totally engaged just because of how well produced the show was yep. and how well written, how interesting and well performed the characters were, how just rich and mm-hmm. fun it was to be in the world of Watchmen during this entire nine episode run. Yeah, it's great stuff. Really, really good stuff. And I can't wait to talk spoilers with you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Before we get into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we would really, really appreciate you sharing this podcast with others who you think might also have enjoyed listening. It is the holiday season. Maybe you hang out with friends and family for a little bit. Maybe you need something to talk about at the dinner table. Hey, got a friend who's into TV? Let them know about hunting seasons that maybe they should check out our podcast. That'd Perfect. be cool. Or if you just hate everyone that you're spending Christmas with, just sit in a corner and Listen to hunting seasons until grandma comes up and says, what are you listening to? And then you can drop the name. Or yeah. if you really hate Christmas, turn the Christmas carols off and just play hunting seasons in the background and have go. our incessant voices. You what won't a even, fun party that would be You won't to have to. to talk to your family at all. You can just all <laughs> listen to us do it for you. Oh, like the wireless. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. We also appreciate your positive reviews on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher and Spotify or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. You're now entering the Spoiler Zone. Spoiler warning! On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in Season 1 of Watchmen. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Watchmen up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Where should we start, Damask? Oh, that's a big question. It's a really big question. <laughs> there is a lot to talk about. Is there a particular character you'd like to talk about? I mean, I think, I think that's we the best should way to start go with this. Angela. Let's start with I Angela. I think we've got to start with Angela. Angela Abar, aka Sister Knight, played by Regina King. What a performance by her. I mean, she, all of her performances are incredibly good. Everything she's ever been in, you're like, oh, Regina King. Well done. Well done. What did you find immediately compelling about Angela Abar and her story? I mean, just simply the relationship that they build straight off the bat between her and her superior, whose name is... Judd. Judd, thank you. Um, Seeing the bond there um, and then obviously the devastation Mm -hmm. when he is murdered. Um, It gives us a great sense of her feeling of loyalty, how she feels about family. This man is, you know, her father figure um, and... Her dealing with grief and anger, we see, you know, during moments of trying to do the right thing when she's obviously 
her masked self and but you know giving in to grief and anger and having violent outbursts and all of mm-hmm. that stuff yeah some interesting stuff there like straight off the bat yeah well that that anger that you're talking about definitely comes back into the big theme here i think one of the biggest themes of the show or ideas of the show is the idea of genetic trauma mm. of the idea that though she wasn't born uh or wasn't around during what happened to her grandfather, mm. which we find out to be William Reeves, a.k.a. Hooded Justice. We'll get to that in a little bit. Of course we will. Um, that she and theoretically many African-American or black people in America today mm. are carrying the trauma of their grandparents and their parents mm. who have experienced uh, racial prejudice and violent racial pre- prejudice since they were younger. And the idea that that is part of their identity, the whole idea that William wants her to find out who she is Mm. and where this comes from, the idea that she is a cop just like her father and his father before him. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's what I think, like, when when you were saying, you know, this show is, it's about race. Yes. And while race is the reason for all of this to happen it's really about the intergenerational trauma that that has caused sure. that, those racial divides and how it just it echoes out without even those that have been traumatized by um just what has happened to their family but not from like direct contact with those mm-hmm, things mm-hmm. um yeah how that ripples out how they have to reckon with the past even though it's not their direct history to, to kind of have to deal with, but, you know, it's they carry it um, and not knowing that you carry it but feeling the effects, like you said, the anger, mm-hmm. the grief, all of that stuff and, and the reckoning that has to happen with that. Mm. Society carries it as well. It's, it's interesting. Absolutely. In To make this so much about race relations and racist Americans, A is just bold because there's obviously going to be some pushback from that, from people who feel that that's just not true or mm. or want to deny that's part of America, right? Which well, did as, happen. As, like, Keane says, he's like, you know, we're, we're being forced to say sorry for things yes. that we didn't even do, which is the argument, but which then ignores intergenerational trauma. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, to have Rorschach, his image be adopted... By what essentially the KKK, yeah, which got a lot of pushback very quickly. Of course, it did. Even after episode one, um, hilariously, I think. I, that me too, because I'm like, Rorschach is not a fucking hero. You're meant no. to be like identifying with. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there Rorschach is a complicated character. Mm, he's but, not all bad, but fucking hell, he shouldn't be on a pedestal. No, and certainly the idea that that journal he wrote, if you read even the first few pages <laughs> of that story, might be you know picked up by racists and yeah. lauded as being a you know it's a one text of those that internet they to. manifestos exactly. that you find after a shooting. Like that's what it is. A hundred percent. I mean, there's no surprises there, and if you think that that. Even if you think that he is a hero, that you can't accept that people might misinterpret or 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 turn that into something that yeah, they manipulate can use, it, manipulate yeah. that text mm. for their own goals. I mean, that's just yeah, that's not all that surprising. But well, yeah, if you utilize like you. one man's thoughts um, as doctrine, a dead man too, in yeah, particular, yeah. as a doctrine, yeah, that's clearly for manipulation purposes. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, then to go on the idea of refidations, the idea of mm. that the government actually has stepped in and started uh, paying um, compensation is not the right word, but like, um, yeah, 
Well, it is kind of the Co- right Compensation word. to the families of victims of the Tulsa massacre and so forth. Mm-hmm. Again, crazily a thing that I'd never heard about. When the it- idea of Black Wall Street and this like prosperous black community that was torn apart by fucking- I thought it was part of like the alternate history. Me too. Until I researched it, I was like, oh, fuck, that happened. Okay. Because it was so extreme to me. Exactly right. Because I haven't been shown that that is history, that those things happen. Yeah. I was like, well, that's. I'm sure I would have heard. Because like, the assumption is if something like that happened, we would have heard about exactly it. Exactly right. Because we're so ignorant to believe that um, the history we're taught isn't totally skewed in our favour. Absolutely. Yeah, as white people. Um, and just to see, yeah, all that ongoing process of even as things maybe get better or start mm. to be made right, the pushback and the ongoing, like, families, the fact that Judd has his dad's KKK outfit mm. in, you know, hidden in a closet, that legacy that he holds on to, just the that flow and effect. And even just because this, as a sequel to Watchmen, is essentially, you know, the child of all the, all the, the not the predecessor, the the next step in the generation of Watchmen stories mm. has to continue that legacy and has a responsibility and is affected by what came before it. It's so tied into this story and so well realised on multiple levels. Mm. Incredible. Yeah, it certainly is the next step after the graphic novel because we're looking like obviously it takes place in you know the Reagan era America and mm-hmm. you know, Rorschach is always taught fucking going on and on about urban decay and all of that stuff. Which was like the narrative in America at the time to really just demonize black people. Yep. Um, and so obviously now the conversation would be about, um, yeah, continuing that conversation about the experience of, um, or actually I think delving into it, which the original doesn't do, but the actual experience of being on the other side of that prejudice, of those negative assumptions, all that kind of stuff, which I think the series doing that is the right step. Absolutely. Um, but also then coming from the perspective of, you know, police brutality and the secrets within the police force, this kind of closing ranks that they have protecting one another mm-hmm. um, and how it's an entirely negative thing. <laughs> like it, those things shouldn't be happening. They shouldn't have, you know, the the anonymity, the kind of we can do whatever we want because we're, we are the, you know, inverted commas, good guys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think it was a perfect place to take the conversation that Watchmen, yeah, started. Absolutely. And, I, like, just the idea of the white knight is so well realised too, though, mm. that because, as you said, the argument that's definitely made throughout this is that the masks are only a negative thing. They make people cruel. They, um, by hiding people's identity, they're more likely to do bad things, not good things, mm. um, that they prevent people from actually healing from their trauma as well is mm-hmm. important, that the idea that hiding a mask doesn't allow our wounds to breathe mm. and therefore we don't heal. Very, very interesting thematically stuff. But also that is believable that this could have happened, A, because they live in a world where mas- mask vigilantes were the norm for a while and mm-hmm. sort of like they were, they have been a popular or a part of the culture, but also because that event makes perfect sense. That yes. to have, you know, a big portion of the police force targeted all at once and then to go, well, we're going to mask them so that they're protected is a very, very, very cool place to start mm. your story that ultimately is very different by the time you get to the end. But wow, yeah. what a premise. Yeah. The, and, you know, this idea of, you know, a big scale event happening in order to degrade like civil liberties mm-hmm. is something that I think we all can kind of like that usually doesn't happen in quite such an apparent way. 
though sometimes it certainly has, but something that we can identify with, but also leads on from the graphic novel of obviously the big squid. Exactly. Yeah, totally <laughs> and how the that DNA changed Watchmen, the right? world and was used for political gains and yeah. all that stuff. It's, yeah, it totally fits into the world, which is nice. Um, so, one of the big sort of ongoing story beats with Angela this season is finding out that her grandfather is William Reeves and who he was. Mm. Um, the episode uh, where we go back, where she takes the nostalgia pills mm. and travels back through William's memories. Mm-hmm. First of all, massive spoilers. If you, if you are still listening for some reason, get the hell out right now. <laughs> but like, to take a character... One of the only real mysteries, I think, left from the original Mm. Watchmen graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And to decide that you, a fan of those, is going to write his version of this 30 years later and answer that question and have it be something like this. Fucking bold, Lindelof. I have to give incredible props for anyone Mm. to think that they they could do that and that they could do it well and they fucking did. But also, as he says in one of the titles of the episodes, if you don't like my story, then write your own. Totally. Um, Which I I love. But I think doing it in such a way, not only did he do his own version, which he has every right to do, um, but he does it in a way that makes so much Fucking it sense. is so. It is when a you great watch it, origin story. Yeah, when you watch it, you're like, of course, that's his fucking costume. Yeah, a hood over his head and a fucking noose around his neck. In America, of course, it's a fucking black man. Of course, it is. Yeah, it's just like, yeah. But the the power and the idea of watching him put the white, white. makeup mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. and the idea that he could just not have ex- that the first. Uh, hooded or master vigilante mm. superhero in the Watchmen universe was always a black man but has had to pretend to be a white man meaning that he is now being claimed by white society mm-hmm. because that's the way he presented that because for his own protection mm-hmm. but then ultimately that just means it's erased from yeah. from history yeah. that in it was a black man fuck be, the tragedy of that is huge yeah, in, in my order eyes. to be accepted having to you know take on the image of the oppressor. Yeah. Therefore, your people's history or place in history gets erased yeah. and changed and like just adds to the oppressor's oppression, the oh. narrative that they are the good guys. Like it's, yeah, and he's like, you know, mask under a mask, like yeah. and all that, the complicated stuff with that. And then, you know, because he's trying to rewrite that trauma that mm-hmm. he has experienced and then the moment when he sees his son, you know, doing it as well yeah. and just realising that he's continuing the trauma yes. of like this need to... More intergenerational trauma. Yeah, this need to kind of be this way. In order to be a hero, you've got to have, you know, these white eyes and the complications around that. And yeah, it's, it was a fucking amazing episode. <laughs> when did you pick up that he, that William was hooded justice? Uh, not until... The episode, I think. In the episode I is when it happened. So. Yeah. Um, the fucking internet ruined that one for me. Oh no, that sucks. Because Twitter was talking, it was just talking about it a lot, and it wasn't specific. But it's enough times yeah. when people go, "This episode was amazing," and then you see one image that includes a hooded justice uh, image, yeah. and then another image that includes that was just young William Reeves with the white oh, eye makeup. Well, that gives it away. I was like, "Fuck, that. fuck you!" But That's also, mean. I need to watch this show. Well, I at heard which point I then of- like muted the word Watchmen from yeah. my feed. Go on. I heard like echoes of this amazing episode or sure. whatever. But it was weeks 
since that had happened on the internet that so I you wouldn't know which one it was going to be. I had no fucking idea. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. Every time I saw Watchmen, I just scrolled past it, so I didn't really take too much of it in. The way again, though, that the episode is put together, the black and white, the uses of like. Uh, some of William's memories pushing forward or into mm-hmm. a scene or just the way it transitions from one memory to another, the the bits of colour that come in, when Angela's own experiences mm. are coming, when, when they're just transforming from William into Angela and back again. Mm. Holy shit. This is one of those episodes, like of a TV show, that you look at and go, that is so unique, so original, and so well executed that it's it's just an all-timer. It's like... If we were doing a list of the top 10 episodes of, of, the, year. of the year, this would mm. be probably number one, yeah. if not in the top three, without a Abs- doubt. Absolutely. So good. I'm not saying it's like Ozymandias, funnily enough, the name of that episode mm-hmm. from Breaking Bad. Um, it's Ozymandias, but it's in that league mm-hmm. for me. Uh, so amazing. Yeah. Uh, I also do want to acknowledge that our experience of watching this as white people totally. may be very different um, for people of... Color and particularly African American. So I just wanted to read. Um, I read a few of Angelica Jade Bastian's uh, recaps on yep. Vulture.com. And in the episode, episode six, that we're talking about, uh, she wrote Betraying this lynching through POV shots is a brutal way to make audiences bear witness to the horrors of racism, though it brings up questions I haven't been able to fully answer yet. Namely, what responsibility do writers and filmmakers bear when handling the spectacle of anti-black violence? Perhaps the answer lies in empathy, in showing the full and ragged and glorious humanity of black people, while also being honest about the traumatic racism they've suffered. Now, obviously, she doesn't really posit an answer, um, because I think it's probably, like, obviously a very personal experience for anyone watching it. and absolutely a question worth asking whenever yeah. you're talking about or doing something. I'm like, I personally, again, as a white person, this is my experience is going to be very different mm. and way less interesting than anybody else's mm-hmm. that this is actually yeah, more personal for. But my experience is that it's, I think it's executed very, very well. Mm-hmm. But it's always worth asking the question yeah. whenever you do something like this, mm-hmm. how well, what did it do well, yeah. what did it do right? And maybe what did it do wrong and could have mm-hmm. done better? That's always yeah. a valid question. Yeah, I I. I thought personally it was handled really well. It mm-hmm. was, as I said in my spoiler-free review, part of it was like this episode is really like an act of empathy, um, garnering perspective, um, and just truly seeing the horrors and the effect it has had on, you know, um, Angela and her grandfather and all of that stuff. Like I think the purpose of it narratively works really well, mm-hmm. um, but obviously that's not just other people might have a different opinion and I just wanted to put that out there. That of course. Totally valid and something that we all need to think about it while we watch stuff like that, particularly about severe trauma like that. Yeah. I think if you are being authentic, you should be open to that question, that conversation, yeah. mm-hmm. to critiquing it and looking at it and mm-hmm. going, you know, where where were some of the... This is one of the things that I... In general, people need to be better at is understanding that you can love something and also be critical of it, mm-hmm. or look to to go well. What could have been better? What didn't quite work as well as it should have? What wasn't handled well? Mm. That's there's an, it's okay, yeah, to say it's okay that to thing have a that you love and I love and we all love, or even if we don't, whatever it is, mm. and go. Yeah, it could have done that better. Yeah, that wasn't as good as it could have been. Mm. Um, but generally, yeah, I really did think it was handled beautifully. Yeah, it was. Uh breathtaking episode and something that 
Yeah, when I, you know, I give it five stars. That like that episode is That's masterful. A f- five star episode. Masterful, yeah. Well, how do you feel about Angela's uh, origin story with her growing up in Vietnam and I what mean, happened with her parents and all that stuff? Just on the the first level of this, and it's not something that was even new, though it wasn't explored at all in the original Watchmen, but seeing this 53rd state, I guess it is, mm. of Vietnam in America, it's such an amazing idea in terms of an mm-hmm. alternate history. Um, yeah, because so, so much of the time there, episode I was like, because she grew up in Vietnam, I didn't realise that it was actually a part of America. Until, yeah, the state yeah, of Vietnam. On, yeah. Apparently, it's like a headline in like on a newspaper in the original Watchmen. That, right. That's the Vietnam has become a state. Missed it, yeah. Yeah, but it's, like, it's, but it's not a major detail. Yeah. So, to be able to look at that as well, again, something I love about Lindelof and obviously his love for the original comic books mm-hmm. is to go, well, that's a detail I've always wanted to know more about. So, to, yeah. you know, what does it look like for... Bring it and forward. it's funny because I kept thinking like a fucking moron... Again, someone who's not American. Oh, yeah, it's interesting the idea that that America has states outside of its own. It already does. It does. In Alaska <laughs> and fucking Hawaii. I'm a freaking idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that weird to think about. But and but and then just to apply that logic and apply that mm. to Vietnam as a setting is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, her story, yeah, Angela's is just more of a tragic one than anything else. To lose her parents, to fo- to not know her grandparents, to not know. Her, to meet her grandmother and to lose her. Fuck. Brutal. Like, she just can't win. Mm. I think one of my favourite moments, though, for her, and one of the most important moments when we're talking about race and something I love that the show did, is finding out where the name of Sister Knight came from mm-hmm. and, you know, scrolling through those videotapes and, you know, lots of different things on there, but nothing that is familiar to her in terms of anyone that looks like her. And then to find that videotape of the Sister Knight, mm-hmm. black, black, black exploitation film. <laughs> yep, nailed it. And to say... I want to watch this and her parents ask why and to say because she looks like me mm-hmm. is extremely important. Yeah. And that speaks to Will as well. Like, you know, as a, we see him at the very beginning exactly. being a consumer of these images, you know, how, it, how representation shapes your view, how it changes your worldview, how you see yourself, how you see others, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And, you know, once again, that leads back into um, the Cyclops story of like these images that black people are shown on the screen um you know obviously telling them to hate each other and hate themselves and you know it's it speaks to well there's a lot of beautiful representations of black people in film and television usually it's created within their own communities but there has been a fuck ton of terrible terrible things terrible representations of what it is to be a black person a black person in america mm-hmm. um and how that affects you and how it can cause you to hate yourself hate the people around you and has caused white people to feel the same way um it's just kind of like this this perpetual lie that is told and how it affects young people and so to see a positive representation to see someone that looks like you. Well, it doesn't even necessarily have to be positive, but to see someone that looks like you. Just to be represented in media. Yeah. For the, that, that there are stories about that's you. That's me. Yeah. yeah. And if it is so like such a moment of like, oh my God, that's me. How important that image holds up. How it informs the people watching it is is a fucking important thing. So I thought that was like a nice little thread as and, we went through. And that's also the tragedy of what happens with because William, yes, is definitely influenced by that mm. the what he watches on the mm-hmm. screen. 
um, which I can't remember exactly what the story is about, but is a real story as mm. well, based on a real person. That film doesn't exist, yeah, but it is based on a real story of mm. a black marshal or whoever it mm-hmm. was, um, and a character named Reeves as well, yeah. And then the tragedy that he then becomes the first real yeah. superhero, and nobody knows that mm. you know that story that of, of him being a African American superhero, the first one is not known yeah. that that representation is denied to the world yeah. because of the real world politics that he would never mm. be considered a hero. He would only and be considered as a bag as a a violent criminal yeah. or something like and that. And also oh, as like the tragic. the disillusionment with you know you see those images and you're like that's what I'm that's what I believe in that's what I'm going to you know, aim for within my own life and then being confronted with like the reality of like the thousands of other images in the world that have created the culture around us that means he has no respect mm-hmm. where he works. He's met with fucking horrific violence yep. where he works because while he has this ideal, the world around him doesn't see it. They don't agree with that worldview and they, you know, push back against him in a fucking Awful, awful ways, yeah. Um, there is a podcast that people who are really into the show might find interesting. Uh, mm. It's the official Watchmen podcast. Um, you can find it wherever you get things and on HBO, I think, .com as well. I think on their YouTube page as well. Um, and it is uh, basically an interview almost or a series of questions asked of Damien Lindelof. And he, they were asking about this idea of like representation. And he uh, referred to one of his writers. Apparently, uh, it's quite a heavily female leaning writers room as well right. and he he he's I actually have gained a lot of respect for Damon Lindelof as a writer um and as an executive sort of producer and showrunner because he's he talks in the we a lot mm. I think there's a lot of questions posited at you and he keeps saying well it's not just me it's we as a collective mm. this is something that while maybe this idea was mine this idea was somebody else's and all together we make this work mm-hmm. and how important that process is but um that one of the writers felt it was very important to make sure this moment with the sister night representation moment was mm. included but also he was talking about how easy it's been for him to just to as a white man to always feel represented in his media and even how Today, as a fan of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe and maybe what DC are doing and stuff, even as superheroes become the number one thing in pop culture, mm. black representation is still small. And not just small, even when it's there, it's often covered up. Mm. He made a point that I would not realized, even in Black Panther, T'Challa is mostly covered the entire time from head to toe. Mm. When um, War Machine is similar. He's covered every time he's actually a superhero. He's in his suit and you don't really see him. Like yeah. black skin is often very covered up. And whether that's intentional or not, or even subconscious or not, or or none of those things, completely accidental, mm. it's still true yeah. that that's the case, mm. that that representation still struggles to come to the surface. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a very good point that he made. And this podcast series is eh, mixed, I think, in terms of how insightful it is, but right. some of it's... Yeah, I haven't listened to it. So I oh, it, it, they're only an hour each. It's three in total. They sort of just cover like in mm. chunks, episodes one to three, then four to six, then seven to nine. They're worth a listen to just to get inside um, the creator's brain, I think. Yeah, cool. Uh, so there's a few legacy characters mm-hmm. in this story. I think they did a really good job of having a lot of new characters um, and also incorporating the legacy characters from the original Watchmen yeah. in pretty clever and organic ways. The first one that's really introduced is... Laurie Blake, okay, Silk Spectre 2, although she's mm-hmm. not go- doing that anymore. She now works for the FBI, That's tracking right. down vigilantes and saving us from rich-masked assholes. Um, <laughs> thank you, Laurie. 
that was a great scene where she like takes down what is essentially Batman. Yeah, so good. It's such Just, a like, great shoots introduction. Him in the back. It's fucking great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I loved her inclusion in this series, and one I just fucking loved Jean Smart's performance. She's so good. She is so fucking good. For me, it's the best. My favorite performance in. I'm not gonna say best, but it's my favorite performance in the show. In the show, sure, absolutely loved it. Found just fascinating and hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I loved her inclusion. I loved her just walking into spaces and just breaking apart, you know, the grand stories that people are telling themselves. Mm-hmm. Just being like, you know, you look like a fucking idiot. Um, you guys are police brutality, like. Ugh. Fucking hell, you guys well, are losers. What's the, the question she asked? What's the difference between a masked cop and a masked vigilante? It's like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why that. And just that um, unique perspective as someone who has lived that life, mm-hmm. who has come out the other side, reshaped their life to become um, a vigilante. Yeah. Well, she sees them as like, you know, kids playing at a game that they don't really understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but also she has a thing of like... Oh, I mean, it's not my responsibility to change your mind about it or to teach you the lessons that I've learned. Like, mm-hmm. whatever, you guys are going to do whatever you, you want to do. Um, but, yeah, I, I love this whole thing. Like, yeah, no one's really that important. The echoes of the tr- the trauma that she has mm-hmm. experienced in her life, you know, speak to that. Being in a relationship with a man that was impossible to emotionally connect with because mm-hmm. he was never there. Um, these you know, having the masked vigilante life like thrust upon her, her, the man that she ultimately did end up with being, you know, caged, being separated from him. Like she is incredibly jaded and therefore detached. And it makes for some hilarious writing. Even you want to continue the themes of intergenerational trauma, the idea that your mother was raped raped by your father, that your father was who he was who I think in the comics attempts to rape her at one stage because he doesn't know. I'm pretty sure there's... It's been a long time. But yeah. there's a lot of trauma going on there that she has taken from her own mother. Mm. Like, th- she's a great example of that too. Mm-hmm. What's She asks uh, Petey, her assistant, essentially, when she's yeah. in Tulsa. What's it's my like, trauma? What's my trauma again? Yeah, yeah. why do I make my mask? Yeah. And he, like, gives the history back. It's the that. rundown. Yeah. Um, what did you think of... <laughs> the end to her episode, episode three, there's like this case mm-hmm. and there's something inside it, blue is glowing and then she's interrupted and we don't find out what it is and at the end is this giant, shiny, glowing blue mm-hmm. dildo. I loved it because <laughs> one, I was like, fucking hilarious to get it, girl. Um, totally. And three speaks to kind of, I guess, this lack of romanticism about she had this, you know, Great big love affair with Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you know, going back to the novel, she was kind of seen as someone to just placate him and satisfy him sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was, you know, wrapped up in that. And so it's not about her, like, yes, we ha- see moments where she's telling him jokes and stuff, which sure. are incredibly cynical. But also it's not about her, like, looking at a photograph of them or whatever. It's just like... There's a sexy photo and she's got his giant fucking cock. Like just the, she is this absolutely embodiment of cynicism. Sure. Of like, you know, she's fucking seen it all and she's bored and just 
get no kicks where she can. It's kind of an it, it's all. Do you think it leans into the idea of nostalgia though? Like nostalgia is a li- like a literal drug in this in yeah. terms of being able to relieve your memories. Mm. But nostalgia and the idea that you can just sort of reflect on the old times and maybe live through the good parts of that and ignore the bad. And in that instance, when she's getting out the blue dildo, she is. It is like an. That's what it is. She's looking at that picture of Spectre takes Manhattan mm. or whatever, and it is. That's not even her. That was her love, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, but like that's just her leaning into the nostalgia of that in a way, and just going back. Or you know, she's just enjoying herself ultimately. Mm. But by going back to a thing that was exciting or whatever to her at the time, yeah, just having a good old time. Absolutely. How did you feel about her kind of being an an adversary ultimately? Um, being an ally to, but the relationship between her and Angela. I just think in terms of an inclusion of a character, well, one, it's great to have her in this story and getting the meatiest of all the legacy characters, I think, Mm -hmm. because she maybe was the least... Maybe represents not the right word. She maybe got the short end of the stick when it came to the original comic book. Mm -hmm. Like, she's the one woman in that story, really, apart from her mother, and their Mm -hmm. story is sort of intertwined. Yeah. And I'd say she gets underserved in her role in that. Mm-hmm. We don't. She's her story's more at the whim of others, mm. if that makes sense. Um, and so to get her a chance to re-enter this story and be a big part of it is mm. great. And just in terms of as a force from the outside, as you said, almost like the adult come in and just sort of mm. looking at the kids playing and going, "What are you doing?" Yeah. Making everyone and just, she she ends up being just a great like question mark she looks at every situation and with cynicism Mm -hmm. and gives you that perspective to make you go well does that truly make sense or what does that really mean and it's just it's a great element to add to your story it's almost an element of chaos or anarchy it's great and i i love her positioning as you know i guess the really the sole survivor of the events that have previously happened so you know she she is telling that story slash joke about you know the three people who died and obviously, you know, Ozymandias, mm-hmm. Hal, Dr. Manhattan, Hal, uh, Night Owl, mm-hmm. Hal. Um, and she's like, she's the one that's left. Mm-hmm. She's the one that has to do the fucking dirty work, mm-hmm. the one that has to kill the god, all all that stuff. Um, yeah, she's the one that's left and she has to deal with the fucking consequences because they've all fucked off, which, I, which is true of the original. It's good to see that play out. Um, another character that... But gets pretty much a whole episode to himself is Wade Tillman, aka Looking Glass, played mm-hmm. by Tim Blake Nelson. Tim Blake Nelson, one of those actors who I've seen a million things, but never has really taken up a central role that mm-hmm. I can think of that I've really can place him in. He's in all sorts of different things. I think he's in a few like Coen Brothers um, mm. films and stuff like that. He, at first, he sort of has a very Rorschach thing going on mm. with his mirror mask whenever he's totally. in his pod they're really leaning into that sort of imagery and you're left sort of questioning knowing that Rorschach is a complicated character who is he ultimately he ends up being a victim or someone who is around when the events what do they call it 11 2 mm. I love that they, they refer to it in the same way I refer to 9 11 as well that was very clever was a victim of that and has been traumatized by that mm. um, going forward to the point where he lives in constant fear of further attacks, of interdimensional attacks from these squid, wearing the reflective element, whatever it is, on the inside of his hat, it's his mask, everything about it. How did you find him as a character? I Yeah, I found that stuff really interesting. I, I liked him as a tool to look at, 
you know, what happened to those that experience that big event that seems so a, big and silly mm-hmm. um, from the outside looking in. But, yeah, hearing or seeing him at the kind of help group and mm-hmm. this kind of paranoid and small life he's he's built for himself because um, of the trauma he experienced. I Yeah, I thought it was a great idea to have a character that I think we assume is going to be one of the murkiest because yeah. of the imagery of Rorschach mm-hmm. um, similarities there. But that's not the case. He ends up being one of maybe the more moral... The more pure, yeah. I think, characters of, you know, he is suffering a serious amount of, like, PTSD mm-hmm. um, and he simply wants to protect himself and is desperate to feel safe. But in saying that, he's, you know, while not truly healthy i think it's the the least damaging of others um the coping mechanisms that he has um compared to a lot of other people um yeah it was an interesting character and one that i was as it unfolded it was nice because so often in these stories as a character unfolds you realize you see their darkness sure it was nice to kind of have the opposite of that as we went through even like the way his accent the way he talks his look like that's sort of like I don't know, is that mutton chopsy or just sort of like that mustache he's mm-hmm. got, does lean into like the idea Racist. of a hundred percent. Yeah. Like that is that is the image you get. And in a story that's so much about racism mm. and like the KKK and Seventh, Cal- Seventh Cavalry and all that sort of stuff, there's almost an instant assumption this guy is somehow involved. Yeah. Um and so to yeah, to to take your assumptions and use that against you or reflect it back at you perhaps. Um and just to, that that whole yeah that whole just going through his house and like having it on the inside and going to his bunker and the paranoia when he or the fear that enters him when his oh, EDS fear. breaks down mm-hmm. and just like the argument he has with the person on the phone and how he needs it straight away he'll pay whatever it costs to get to him like just feeling mm. that anxiety mm-hmm. was so effective I thought yeah um, it's a great episode I'm really I think it's cool that you can just spend one episode. Because it doesn't feel like there's enough time for it. There's nine episodes mm. to spend so much time on that one character. Yeah. Tell you what I wish, though. Mm. I kind of wish this whole, his whole lying power had something to do at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. Once once we see his episode, he kind of just gets eliminated from the board. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it is fascinating also to see that the conspiracy that Vite put together with the squid mm. is a known element. Yes. That it is out there and people... While it's not Whispers, a public yeah. knowledge, there are certainly people out there mm. who know this and are working to, quote unquote, rectify it maybe or mm. do something about that was a very important piece of this puzzle. Mm. Uh, speaking of Vite, yes, he. So we don't know this initially. We just keep getting these little segments in our episodes mm. to Jeremy Irons mm. in in some Welsh manner with a Gorgeous couple looking countryside. Yep. Um. These were some of my favourite parts of the entire series in terms of like just every episode of all eight of the nine episodes. Mm. There's just, we just take a five minute slice. Little snip. And just mm-hmm. add in a little bit of Jeremy Irons being Doc Brown, very Christopher Lloyd esque sort of performance going on there, I thought. Well, I, it was in those moments where I'm like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> right. So that's one element. But also, I don't really care because 
this is so fucking weird and funny yes. and horrifying and just it was fascinating to watch. But there's something about like because it is weird, right? Mm. And it, it is deliberately weird and made to be obtuse and mm-hmm. made to made to be examined and then compared to the previous episodes one and go back and forth. So the decision to make it a specific, predictable five-minute chunk of mm-hmm. every episode yeah. gives it some structure that yes. you don't feel like that it doesn't sort of um leak out and invade the it rest of the story. From no, anything, yeah. because it's so far removed. It's like a little intermission. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's not because it, if it wasn't handled right, if you were like cutting back and forth frequently. It'd be fucking annoying. It would be annoying. It'd be weird. You would feel confused mm. and lost. Whereas because it's being done in such a deliberate mm. way and it's contained, yeah. you always felt like, I know this is going to get somewhere. And even yes. if it doesn't, it doesn't matter because I can separate it from the mm. rest. I mean, if it didn't go anywhere, I mean, I'd, I'd be, be frustrating. Like, I'd be like, what the fuck was that? But I always had faith that it was of going course, to. Of course, of um, course. And I think the pace in which they reveal that is very nice. And I agree with what you said. If it was not put together in a way that my brain subconsciously understands what's mm-hmm. happening and that we're going to leave it soon, don't worry about it because the rest of the show is also a mystery box. It's a detective yeah. story. Yeah. And so if it was getting away of that rhythm, I think... I would find it really fucking annoying. And maybe some people do. I didn't find that happening. I looked I, to I, it. it was like a fun little yeah, interlude. Yeah. Just boop, here we go. This wacky mad scientist adventure. Yeah. What the fuck is happening? The point in which he's taken babies out of a lake, I just <laughs> burst out laughing. I'm like, Yeah. How horrifying it's just like what I said in my explore free review, like horrifying and delightful. Like just he's just <laughs> tossing. <laughs> Babies back into a like lake that he would, doesn't like, like and you just you hear their like little screams. Go to the supermarket and you pick up an avocado, and it's like that one's not right. Yeah, you yeah, squeeze it's it like- if it's firm enough. Throwing it, fuck, it's funny. God, it made me laugh. Um, yeah, no, and Jeremy Irons is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, in such just a matter of fact way, and a kind of almost disinterested way. Which I well, really uh, it enjoy. speaks to Vite and what and his whole. I, I like this as well. They're reflecting on the thing about I think Ozymandias, Mandy's again. It's been a long time since I read the comic, but like you have a certain idea of Ozymandias, Mandy's, and at the end you find out that he is very much the means will justify the ends, right? Yes. And he's as much as he is there God to complex. save as much as he's there mm. to save humanity, he also doesn't implicitly care about the individual person so no. long as it is you know for the sake of the whole mm. so when he goes to this paradise which we find out later is where he was sent to and he's just getting bored and wants yeah. to get the fuck out of there because <laughs> I, I, I is funny reflecting on that now i really want to rewatch those scenes because it starts mm. off in him just like you know writing his letter or whatever and getting his legs massaged mm. like at that point he just had these two people who idolized yeah. him and like that he's living in yeah. paradise mm-hmm. until he doesn't want to be there anymore. Well, I yeah, that's the bit I love was the fact that I was like, oh, well, he's been sent there, imprisoned. I was yeah. like, no, it was his choice. He wanted to live in this paradise with like people who just served him. And I was like, oh, well, of he, course. He couldn't get the recognition for being the yeah. savior of humanity, so instead, so he was given a place where everyone will worship him. Yeah, his garden of does nothing for him. Yeah, he's like, I'm fucking bored because <laughs> of course he would be. But yeah, I loved that he couldn't see that, but. And then was stuck there, which was very good. And then being stuck there. And then, uh, but yeah, just the, the way it's spread out over like multiple years as well. The mm. time frame of it is really interesting. I think we come back and he's been arrested by the gamekeeper. Mm-hmm. And then it's 365 days later, specifically yeah. one year. Because mm-hmm. this was always happening on anniversaries as well, which, you know, at first I was like, is this counting days? No, it is counting years. Yeah. Um, and then we get to that point. I 
I don't know. It's just so well put together, that whole sequence, as you said, the insanity of it. But yes, watching him, like, dispose of these clones, people, I don't know what you want to call them, people, sort yeah, of. Yeah, I, I, they're pretty much clones of the Adam and Eve that Dr. Manhattan made, right? But, like, they're, they're, they aren't, they're not human because they're, like, more of, like, a copy of humans or, like, a... Mm. Or the way that Dr. Manhattan describes it, he's like, they are a version of humanity that are kinder and gentler and just want to help. Yeah. And so, they're not really human because they don't have that- They don't have selfishness. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they're they're, they're distinct even though- Anyway, Mm. but just a representation of like, it's totally in his character to just treat them like tools (laughs) because even as they worship him and they do everything he says, he has no respect for Mm. them- as individuals, he only sees the ultimate goal of getting the fucking yes. <laughs> I fucking love that stuff, and the, what it adds up to is ultimately simple, but fun along the way, mm. and really, really cool. Just yeah, it's all just a bit campus tits, really, and I was oh. just having a great time mm. watching him. Like when they're doing the play, and he actually burns the yeah. guy, and the oh, <laughs> at that so point, like I found bits like that. Pretty scary. Mm-hmm. I was just like, it's. It felt like a bit of a horror movie being stuck in this madman's kind of little playhouse. Um. Then obviously, as we go along, you realise that these people, well, these things, are quite happy to to do that. They don't feel no fear. Um. So that that helped. But it was ho- Yeah, like I said, horrifying and delightful. That um, there's a bit again at his trial where the prosecutor gets up there and gives this brilliant impassioned takedown of him and then sits down and winks at him because even though she's doing exactly what she's meant to be doing Mm. ultimately she's still serving him we're serving him it's hilarious I do love the bit at the end when he has the fight with the gamekeeper and the gamekeeper asks why'd you make me wear the mask it's like because masks make men cruel and I needed Mm. a worthy adversary and he's like was I no No. (laughs) but But you put put on a hell of a show (laughs) was extremely Mm. fun which I quite like that this kind of like well who is this gamekeeper person and then just finding out it's just another another clone perfect Mm. another clone and just something he did to keep himself sane (laughs) do you think there is anything about the way they play Vite that is redactive of the character from, or reductive, maybe is the word I'm looking for, of the character from Watchmen. In terms of he was the brilliant strategist who had this idea, who from memory is played very seriously mm. to make him sort of a madcap Doc Brown type. Like, Well, I, I think it makes sense because in the novel, graphic novel, he is playing to this ultimate plan, mm-hmm. right? For like everything has a reason, the... the means justify the end, mm-hmm. all that stuff, it doesn't work out. So, he's just stuck. Not, it, it works-ish, but, no, do, but to, not to in the order, In order to create this utopia that yes. he was planning for, it, it hasn't worked out because yep. humans are humans and ultimately selfish in a lot of ways. And so, he's then just left in Antarctica by him, in his fucking palace mm-hmm. by himself being like, what the fuck? Um, and then he's sent in to isolation once again on the fucking Euro- Europa, is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Um, so, the fact that he's, yeah, kind of lost the plot a little bit makes sense. I don't think it was balls to the walls, mad scientist-esque. There's certainly an element of like, yeah, mad scientist, but not 
I wouldn't quite call it Christopher Lloyd levels. I I could not. That was we were trying to figure out. It's like this is Jeremy, like Jeremy Irons with an American accent is weeding me out to begin yeah, with. Well, yes, that's true. But then I was like, what is he? What is he channeling here? And Liam, who's a big Back to the Future fan, agreed with me. Like that's what I kept coming back to mm. was like Christopher Lloyd. But go on, sorry. But I Christopher Lloyd like is him. like next level. Oh no, no, yeah, that's. Ex- that, I mean, he is like hairbrained to the extreme. Yes, yes he's yeah. not doing that. He seems like an incredibly intelligent person. That is unhappy with how things have turned out and incredibly bored. And that, that tracked for me. Um, while we're on Vite, what about Lady True mm. and her inclusion in the story? Mm-hmm. Um, she is the essentially the, the, the Vite of this story. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 yeah, the, the, the stand-in for him from the original Watchmen mm-hmm. turns out to be his daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the scene of his mother... Um, impregnating of yeah. her mother, sorry, impregnating herself. Yeah, that was. Fucking, why do you have a vault of semen? Gross. Because he's a fucking narcissist. But yeah. it's interesting. That's an interesting element is to making it that he's never had sex before. That he is. Well, he's never given himself to a woman. He said, didn't say he's never oh, had sex. That's a good point. Have you seen his costume? <laughs> yeah. What did you think of Lady True? I really liked her. I found her a very enjoyable character to watch. Definitely. I love that, she, you know, she could kind of run laps around people. Mm-hmm. Um, also had that element of like being really disinterested because she could kind of tell what was going to happen mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Not because she was psychic, obviously, or, you know, all-knowing like Dr. Manhattan, but just because she was incredibly intelligent and was orchestrating a lot of it. Um, the big reveal that she is Ozymandias's daughter mm-hmm. Um I thought it was quite obvious throughout that sure, was going to okay. be the case. but still satisfying, though. But she did say that thing about we respect our elders, I thought was as well, which ended up being it wasn't actually his statue. It was him that was mm. there the whole time in plain sight, which was clever too. Yeah. And obviously, it was the thing that fell from the sky when she bought the land off the Clarks, mm. Lois Clark. That's an on-the-nose name as yeah. well. Um, yeah, go on. Um, yeah, so I, I thought that was cool. Like, I... An, another character associated mm-hmm. and it's all about, you know, intergenerational Absolutely. trauma and all that's like plays into it beautifully. Yeah. Um, and I liked this idea that I guess in a lot of ways she is the villain, but also not really. Like yeah. she's not a villainous villain. She has ultimately good um, intentions and... Does this sound familiar? Mm-hmm. But I think... Um, Ozymandias's reasoning of anyone who thinks they deserve the power of a god absolutely shouldn't have it. Mm-hmm. I think that's 100, 100% projection. I don't. And while it might have ended the world that they know, doesn't mean it was going to be the end of the world. I think that's possibly a false conclusion. Yeah, no, I I think there is a real truth to that idea. I think that I think it's true because you look at most of like I think politics is the example of this. Mm. People who ultimately end up in the highest positions of power and power want it is bad enough you. tend to be people who probably shouldn't have it. There are mm. very few examples I think of people who yeah, who are given that power or, mm. yeah, who chase it as yeah. much as they have to to get it and ultimately deserve it or don't abuse mm-hmm. it. Yeah, those who think um, that they have the answer to all the problems exactly. probably don't understand the nuance of the problem. Exactly. Yeah, I understand that. But I, I still think, well, he doesn't ultimately know that while he's obsessed with saving 
the world being and yeah, you know, he's looking for a worthy adversary and this is what she is. So this is a big moment for him, which mm-hmm. is quite exciting. Um, but yeah, no, I liked that she was a villain wanting to do the right thing, wanting to do the thing that Dr. Manhattan wouldn't do. Now, that's the part I find the most interesting. The idea, and I think Will says this mm. at the end as well, it's like- Should have done more. As, yeah, <laughs> as much as like I liked him, um, mm. For someone who had the power he did, he should have done more. Yeah. Is a very interesting perspective and sounds about spot on, yeah. realistically, if you think about it. Uh, man, Dr. Manhattan is an incredibly yeah. flawed Absolutely. superhuman. For someone, you know, because the argument can't be made that, you know, he had all this power and really when you have that much power, all you can do is remove yourself because he participated in That's human the, events. Yeah. In devastating ways. That had so, incredible ramifications. Yeah. To say that he was against that always was not the case. Yeah. Um, and so, he had the opportunity to change a lot of things. We should talk about Dr. Manhattan there, I think. We should. Uh, it, it, obviously, it's hard not to have a Watchmen sequel and have Dr. Manhattan in it, right? But once mm. you include a superhuman mm. and you have to continue to hit that story beyond the original comics... Boy, you are walking into a minefield. That is tricky to do. And especially because he is this interdimensional, out-of-time being that experiences things differently and even interacting with him is sort Mm. of problematic. How did you feel they handled not just Dr. Manhattan, but Cal, um, his human sort of version of himself in this show? Mm. Great question. I... I liked the idea on the outside. Yes. I think. But so really, you know, the the climax of this series really does revolve quite heavily around Angela and her relationship with Dr. Manhattan yes. or John or Cal. Um, it's very hard to have a character that, you know, what, well, the thing, what I found successful was the first conversation they're having at... The bar. Can I, Which, can I just say as well, that episode yeah. is, it's like there's a lot there. I think there's a lot to criticise there if you really yes. want to. I think it's also done about as well as you could hope for it to be yes, done. because they give him an element of fun playing with mm-hmm. the fact that he's outside but always inside time, mm-hmm. which I like. It's a very Doctor Who episode, I thought, yes. this one. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, I, that, those moments were cool. Yes. I like that. However... For me, it is very hard to believe that connection. It is hard for me to be invested, I think, in that connection. I think because what we have seen of their relationship has been her and Cal, which Mm -hmm. I was invested in. Mm -hmm. Um, But then his memory is erased, so that relationship is erased. Um. And he loves Angela in a relationship. I'm talking about John yes. loves Angela in a relationship that I have not witnessed, that yes. I don't yes. understand. And so there is a level of detachment there. So when the climax of the show is so heavily based in that, yeah. um, I think it, it took some things away for me. I think, yeah, no, I agree. The The biggest problem with that character and introducing him into the story and the way he is integrated into the story mm is that you have to be willing to suspend some disbelief on some crucial points. Mm. For instance, the idea that he 
just the you getting your head around and being able to swallow the idea that someone can simultaneously be in love with someone, even though they haven't had that moment of falling in love with them yet, and that that is enough to motivate them to just sort of do what is their they understand to be fated to do. And mm-hmm. fate is not the right word because he's experiencing all of time at the same time. Mm-hmm. He is actually in it. Yeah, it's not like it's just going to happen to him. He is. Mm. This is where yeah. it gets complicated. It's happening, right? Yeah. It's not predestined. Predestined. It's occurring. It is occurring, yeah. right? Is like already that gets complicated. And mm-hmm. this is where things can get messy because you start to ask too many questions. But like things like she asked the question, like you participated in the Vietnam War. Mm. You ended that war. You walked around 100 feet tall and just like blasted the Viet Cong out of the, uh, off the planet, basically. Mm. Like, why did you do that? It's like, did you, he's like, I, if it helps you, I regretted that. It's like, well, if you knew you were going to regret it, mm. why'd you do it? And his answer is, haven't you ever done something you knew you were going to regret? Mm. Very beautiful wordplay. But. Uh, it, but <laughs> you raise so many questions about this person's autonomy that yes. it's hard to see them as anything except a narrative construct at that point. Well, it's yeah. like you you have to just be able to swallow that it happened because mm-hmm. it happened. Well, I think like, yeah, that's all you can with do. that dynamic of Angela and John is that he is, appears to be so passive Yeah, and she, t- at, towards the end of the show, is purely reactionary. So we just have someone who's passive and then we have a lot of reactionary kind mm-hmm. of character motiva- motivation, which is not the most interesting, I sure. think, stuff to be going on. Um, but yeah, it's incredibly hard to align yourself with, connect to the story of someone who ultimately is just appears to be completely passive. It, that is really difficult as well because as much as I think Regina King is doing a bloody good job at lo- she's at least amazing. at looking interested mm. and like um, like she is into the conversation they're having in that bar and you can sense attraction. Mm-hmm. Another thing that they choose to do is to not show his face when he's still John Doctor Manhattan, right? Mm. Which I can understand why you might make that choice. Yeah. I honestly don't know why. I think, is it because they, and they talk about this, it would be problematic for a white man to then become a black man. And essentially, in the th- themes of the show, wear that as a mask. Because mm-hmm. that's what that is. Yeah. And agree. Questions to be raised about that decision. Mm-hmm. And so, by not showing his face and therefore not really giving him an ethnicity... Even though we know he was originally John, a white man, a white man right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're trying to do? But once you make that He's decision, German, right? yes, yeah, yeah. Well, you see him as a little kid. That's right. Once you make that decision, mm. you are removing our ability to connect with him in that moment as well. Like we're trying, which is to- weird because that's the most the time when he's the most easy to connect to because because of their dynamic of yes. playing off each other. Yes, yeah, it's. Yeah, I understand why you wouldn't do that. One, because it's a white man. Two, because um, it's the actor who plays Cal's voice. Um, so whether or not they would have given him a different voice, or they is would it, have given he, it's his voice. It's, it's his the voice. same. Oh, that's it interesting. Is. It's um, an interesting they've performance. Like, then altered it slightly. That's but cool. It's, it's his voice. I like that. To know so that. would you give a white man his voice? I don't know. Like mm-hmm. it's, it, I think becomes more complicated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so just simply removing that complication probably is a wise choice. But I don't know. I'm not sure about the nuance around that. Sure. Um, what is and isn't appropriate. But what But what about the effect that that has, yeah, on... By making that choice, mm. whether it's the right one or not, what that has on our ability to... I like that we were able 
to really kind of experience just Angela's perspective of that, but it damages, I think, the our connection to him, his participation in the relationship, I think. Um, so that scene I thought was good. It didn't actually didn't bother me all that much in the scene. However, the consequences... Yeah, it's more later. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and so when we have... What I found interesting in the moments when they're picking out a body for him. Yes. I didn't believe that they were in a relationship. Yeah. I didn't... I just, for whatever reason, I didn't buy it that... Angela had fallen in love with this person or that he had fallen in love with her. I mean, it's also a problem when you are basically introducing this stuff. Is it the second last episode that we're having this these conversations? Yeah. It's like it's so late in the story that you now have to tell an entire love story and 10-year romance yeah. theoretically. I guess, you know, Angela at that point had lost all of her family and um, had convinced herself and those around her that she didn't want or need anybody. Mm-hmm. And so the only person that could ever really connect with her is someone that forced them way, their way in by mm-hmm. saying, this is go- this is going to happen. This is And just not saying no and just being like, you know, no, I'm going to convince you that this is what you want. Mm-hmm. And so she's able to open her heart and accept that. And in saying that, I guess, um, John who wanted to create this Garden of Eden of people who just wanted to serve and weren't weren't selfish to meet someone like Angela, who, despite him telling her, don't do it, will always be, will always be kind of not serving, but selfless in mm-hmm. that way, always going to fight for someone else. So I, I, I get this kind of like tenuous reasons why. Mm. I'm just saying emotionally I didn't feel it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, that's a big part of it. Mm. And so we get to the end, the revelation that Cal was Dr. Manhattan the whole time. He's been living in Tulsa as a human being. Mm. Cool. I like that. Yeah. In terms of what it means for the plot, in terms of what like the, the idea that the 7th Cavalry became aware of this, because White he Knight. was teleported, he teleported mm. that the guy away on White Knight, mm-hmm. that that gave it away, that he was there. They've been then devising a plan for three years or whatever it's been to try and mm. do something about that. Mm-hmm. And then the the plan to get his powers. And the mm-hmm. I, I got to say, as far as stakes go, Dr. Manhattan, the white supremacist, is terrifying an idea. And yes. like, I did believe in those the stakes. Ubermensch. Yeah, mm. exactly right. The literal one, yep. But then, yeah, he comes back. He's back in the scene. He's sort of like conf- dazed and confused and neutered. And then, again, it gets so complicated. When he gets like teleported away into the cage, and they've mm. just been blasting people and like yeah. they look invincible. And he stands there and just says, all right, see you, essentially, accepts his fate. Mm. I just get very confused by how autonomous this person is. Mm. And if that means they're a person or not, a character, what are they? But also perhaps... You know, the decision there is obviously not wanting Angela to be harmed in any way, but that she will always fight for him. So, she's going to put herself in danger. Mm. So, he removes the immediate danger to her. Um, But ultimately, maybe the autonomy is that he doesn't want to be anymore, that he doesn't think that someone like him should exist and therefore relinquishes power. I don't know. I was going to say, I don't think that's in the text, that conversation. No, it's not. That's not explored at all. But... No, and I think perhaps. But then also you can't have that conversation and then for him to give his power to her at the end because then that's... He's giving someone that power if he doesn't believe it should exist. So I almost wonder whether... And this is just like backseat 
plotting here, mm. whether there almost is a conversation of Lady True trying to convince him that he should give his power to her or something mm-hmm. like that, like making it a thing that was given rather than a thing she tried to take from him. Yeah. And that could have been interesting, like, like not very exciting, mm-hmm. just sitting down in a room and going, hey, I want your power and here's why you should give it to me. Um, and then the choice to give it to Angela at the end. What did you think about, A, it's an ambiguous ending. We don't know if she's got, she's actually got his power I don't think it's end. that ambiguous, personally. But you think she it definitely happened? Yeah, I'm pretty confident that it happened, yeah. Oh, I mean, it's... Deli- I don't think you- it's that... I mean, I, mean, I get, deliberately stop. They deliberately stop. I get stop why it. they're doing that. Yes, yes. But yes. all of the markers are clearly stating this is what is occurring. Is it is it cl- saying that's what is occurring, or maybe what is occurring? Like it could be misinterpreted. She might be wrong. Yes, yeah, she might be, but no, she definitely got these fucking powers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. How do you feel about that? Like, let's say, for instance, she does get his powers. Yeah. How do you feel about that in this story? Um, is Angela worthy of the powers? Why is she worthy? Why is she not? Is it... What does that mean? Yeah. Um, is, is she wor- worthy? I guess, like... Because yeah, I, mean, I don't think anyone's worthy. I was going to say, John, I don't think, was worthy of those powers. I think no. there's a good argument made as to what he is, has underused or misused or not done enough with the power he was given. Mm-hmm. Um, so, passing it on to somebody is a pretty interesting choice. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think perhaps that's something to explore if there is a season two. Um, I'm not sure that she is worthy. I don't think anyone's worthy. What does that say to the overall themes of, I guess, trauma and justice? And yeah, I don't know. What are your What are your thoughts on it? I, I don't. I don't have sol- solid thoughts. I think mm. it's a. But what is great about it? Why I like that ending is because it can start a conversation. Mm-hmm. Because you can start to even just looking at John's decision. Like, if we argue as uh, Vite said that. Anyone who wants these powers does not deserve them. Mm-hmm. We start to look at Angela is looking at that egg in her hand and is making a decision to have them. Does that make her less worthy? Does it make John worthy that he wanted to give them up and give them to somebody else, mm. which he has done in her case? Um, what would it mean if she did become a, a Dr. Manhattan? It's like there's, on one hand, you've got a white supremacist. On the other hand, you've got a victim of white supremacy. Mm. Um, all this intergenerational trauma, the granddaughter of the first ever uh, hooded superhero or mass mm-hmm. superhero, but he became a violent um, person as well. Like, I, it, that conversation, mm. much like Watchmen, mm. ends in a place not to give you an answer, but to make you think. Yeah. And I really appreciate I that. I think that fits because I, yeah. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that she got the powers. Mm-hmm. I understand why they did the ambiguous thing because it is Watchmen and it is meant to be yeah. ambiguous in all of its forms. Um, it's however, true to its lineage by yeah, doing that. Yeah, this this conversation of who should or should not have those powers, who is worthy, who is not worthy. Because, you you know, you look at John's origin story. He didn't want them either. It was a total fucking accident. Yep. He certainly wasn't worthy, nor did he do anything particularly good with those powers. Yep. Um, so, yeah, whether the desire to do good or to be all-powerful, any of those things, whether that informs who you will be once you have power, that kind of power that really stops you from being you anyway is kind of, well, I'm not sure that that's the case. Will you always be detached? Therefore, your human motivations before going into it 
are null and void. I don't know. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Do you have any side notes to mask? Um, not many at all. I've only got two. The first one is it was strange to see an adult explain to kids that heaven isn't real. I love that. It's not that. really something I've seen before, but I loved it. It was really normal and they quickly moved on because they're kids. <laughs> I, I, but yeah, totally. I also just thought it was a a beautiful explanation of exactly mm. how I feel about that as well. Yeah, it's me like, too. what were you before you were born? Nothing. Mm. So we're going to go again. Yeah. That's, there's something beautifully simple about that, I think. Yes. And well explained. Um, my other one is just simply a quote from Laurie and it was just spoke to how much I loved about what so much of what I loved about the character. And she says, um, you can have Mira Guy if you want. You can have She's Mira just Guy. constantly calling Mira Guy. You can have it if you want, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> that is very funny. Mm. All right, I got a few things. Mostly it's world building stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, we had Lube Man. Yes, we did. One scene, mm-hmm. she's watching, he's watching Laurie, uh, sorry, not Laurie, uh, uh, Angela, Angela uh, runs away, uh-huh. slides down a vent, he's gone. Love it. That's his inclusion in the entire story. Beautiful. Has no anything extra. Mm-mm. Any thoughts on Lube Man? Well, the internet's already told me. We know. Yeah. We know we it know was Petey. It was one of those things that was released after the episode there. Much like the comic book where they have this sort of like extra material at the end. And mm. I haven't read much of this yet and I want to. No, I've got the website open in my browser, but I haven't actually gone through all the files that they've... And there's probably uploaded. whole plot things we're missing yeah. because we haven't read that yet. But I'm looking forward to going through that soon. Mm. And yes, it is revealed to be Petey, the <laughs> assistant, of, which based on just his physicality was pretty obvious, yeah. I think. And the way that he enters the scene afterwards, it's like, oh, where were you, buddy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you think of American Hero Story Minutemen? Fucking hilarious. This, so this is like a Ryan Murphy. Yeah, it was like, just oh. like a total roasting of Ryan Murphy shows, which I enjoyed. I thought that it's was like, so good. Yeah, salacious and, you know... Totally wildly inaccurate and, and yeah, yeah hyper violent and hypersexual and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I, I thought that's an inclusion as a background thing and then actually using it to like hint that we might get the or to keep reminding us about Hooded Justice throughout was mm. very, very, very clever. Mm-hmm. Um, thought it was interesting that Judd had an owl mug, um, in his office because mm. Night Owl is not really much of a character in this story. Well, yeah, I saw a, a bit about this because obviously they also use, um, the ship. Yeah, the ship and stuff. Well, because, a, it's a, like a recreation of the ship we find out at the yeah, end. Yeah, because yep. he used to be a cop. So, I read somewhere that perhaps it's kind of, he's a bit of a, like the cop's hero. You know what I mean? Like sure. they're kind of idolised and, you know, cops really like him and stuff. But that's a vague thing that I found on the internet that may or may not be true. I don't mind that as an idea. Mm. Um, I even just thought the name Sister Knight, it's like... Angela almost ends up being sort of a mix of a few different heroes mm. in that she's like hooded justice, obviously. Mm-hmm. She's got a bit of Night Owl about her. Um, it's in the name. She They have the ship. She's drinking from the mug. Then you've got Silk Spectre as well, who's got the owl and the cat. I know there's just lots of little like hints to that to Dan, but not mm. really super involved. Not a bad choice because as Damien Lindelof says in the podcast, he's kind of the most boring character who doesn't have trauma in his backstory. He just yeah. doesn't have really anywhere to go in this yeah. as much. Though, I think you could go there. I'm, I'm looking... I think one of the extra pieces of material is finding out what happened to Dan after Watchmen and leading up to this one. Yes, I think I did read a little bit about that, yes. Lines I like. I got a nose for white supremacy and he smells like bleach. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Good one. Uh, thank you for keeping our friends safe from rich assholes playing heroes. I like mm-hmm. that as well. 
Um, oh, I like Angela getting uh, Will's DNA from the mug. It's a very Barry moment. Mm-hmm. If you remember that from Barry, I thought that was very good. The idea of Steven Spielberg's movie about Eleven <laughs> Two called Pale Horse. It's essentially like his Schindler's List mm-hmm. of this world. Fucking amazing. Did you notice that the colour blue was boosted in Vietnam? No, I didn't. So, it was really obvious in one scene, but I mm-hmm. think it was true of a, of most of it, mm-hmm. that when Angela has gets taken out of school, I think it is, by the cops, and they mm. ask her to identify, you know, one of the bombers. Yeah, the puppeteer. Yeah. The puppeteer, thank you. And the cop's hair is black, but it's very blue tinged and it's mm. not actually that she's got blue hair it's that the color blue has been boosted in it because I, I think some of the eyes are really blue and stuff as well mm-hmm. which i think is an interesting detail about dr manhattan's like influence on everywhere that, in that part of the world in that part of the world mm. i thought was very very interesting as well mm-hmm. i wanted to end this before we get to our favorite least favorite episodes on talking about just we've already talked about john a little bit but the paradox of his inclusion in this story in the sense that he's sort of predestined, always going to, is currently going through this being in love with Angela thing, Mm -hmm. who just happens to be hooded justice. Sorry, happens to be Knight, uh, Sister Knight, who happens to be the son, the granddaughter, sorry, of hooded justice, who happens to be locked in this massive conspiracy to get John. Like the idea that, it's so convenient and coincidental that he happens to fall in love or has to be in love with another masked person. Of the six billion people on the planet, mm. he just implicitly is going to fall in love or is implicitly in love with this woman. The bootstrap, pa- bootstrap paradox that exists here well, is so tenuous. Like, with the question of like chicken and the egg and stuff, it's like you can't even really look at it because... You can't. It's a loop. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can't. Where does it? How does it? You can't. And that's why I find. Tearing it apart. Yeah. For a show that is so much about intergenerational trauma and like how the past informs the future and stuff, to add a paradox like that into it mm-hmm. kind of breaks things a little bit in the story you're telling. When ultimately, this series of events has to happen this way to these groups of people because. They have to happen. Like, for no other reason than that's just the way this works. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. It always existed and can't not exist. Is always a complicated piece of storytelling. Mm-hmm. I remove myself from it because the story is too good to not to worry about that stuff. Mm. But I, I just, anytime you in- introduce a bootstrap paradox like that, things get messy real quick. If you think about it too hard, you will break your brain. Well, yeah, that, you it's can't. It's just so... Because it, it, it's never-ending. It needs so. so much coincidence. Because I felt like every other character had... But the thing is, like, it, yeah, it needs so much coincidence, but also coincidence can't exist. Yes, exactly right. So, there is no coincidence and it is all coincidence. So, it's... Everything it else is so... itself. Everything, <laughs> yeah. It, the, the story... Yeah. The story goes so far to justifying how... Sister Knight would end up being a masked vigilante or, not, or a masked cop like her grandfather because of intergenerational trauma. This is a legacy passed down. Mm-hmm. Like, this is inevitable because the past informs the future. It's such an interesting story element to me. Yes. But then when you throw in and some things just have to happen because they have to happen, mm. kind of like they, they conflict, they like mm-hmm. they're at conflict with each other. I find that interesting. That was too heady to end that on. Let's get to our least favorite and favorite episodes. What was your least favorite episode, Damask? 
I'm tired between a few and not because they're not bad. They're bad, yep. but just because of how I felt while watching them or where they might have sat within the story and um, my anticipation of, you know, discovering the mystery and all that stuff. I think it's probably going to have to be episode two. Mm-hmm. I really, really was thrust into episode one. Episode one, it's a brilliant pilot. It's so, it's so good. Yeah. I realized that it was going to be like a bit of a detective show and so mm-hmm. there was something to discover. Um, and then we hit episode two. And it's a little bit of a pause because we are doing the flashbacks of why at night and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like I said, nothing really bad here. Um, we're yet to meet Laurie, which like episode three for me was like, oh, fuck, cool. This is awesome. Um, this is when she has f- found Will and has tied him up in her shop. Um, I don't know. It just – it was – I was thrust and then I had to sit back and just kind of be a bit more passive, I guess, as a viewer. Sure. Um, and that's that's all that's all I have really. I don't have a big standout. Oh, that was definitely for me the worst. But yeah, I guess that one. Mm. I'm going to say my least epi- favorite episode. And again, I don't think it's a bad episode by a long shot. I think it's mm. a great episode, in fact. But I'm going to say episode nine, mm-hmm. see how they fly the finale. Not because there's inherently anything bad about it. Mm. I think it's complicated when you need to start putting all these elements together. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it ultimately adds up to a lot. Mm-hmm. But maybe like the 7th Cavalry stuff kind of just gets... Like it's, it's there to bring them together and then they get wiped out. And then it's like that was never really that important anyway. Which mm. is a shame because the race relation stuff was really one of the most well, that's the important thing, is parts that, of the like, show. It's it- the... Sets up the show. Was important to Will and ultimately then through like Angela's history. Yes. But it be, it seems smaller because it's not like saving the world, even though it has been. It's the most important story when looking back on what we've been spending time sure. on throughout the season. But the way that it's treated in the finale, I think, is unbalanced to how it's. Yes. Should have been treated because of what we've learned throughout the season. And then a lot of the focus goes back on our legacy characters as mm-hmm. well. Like Adrian's back mm-hmm. because he needed to be back so that... Because Lady True wanted to have her parents present. Mm-hmm. Who luckily is back because John's able to teleport him and Silk Spectre and Looking Glass, I think. Mm-hmm. Back to his hideout so he can save the day again. Yeah. And like, that's not untrue of the characters, but... It's like, oh, I was really enjoying the newer stuff, what's happening mm-hmm. with Angela, yep. you know. Looking Glass has been sort of kept out of the story for a few episodes now. Now he's just kind of there at the end hanging out with... I don't know, it just seemed a little bit like super pat and not bad, but maybe just a little underwhelming in some aspects. It felt like a superhero film. Yes, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. It starts to feel a little bit too generic maybe is, mm-hmm. a, better, is a way of putting it. And mm-hmm. takes the focus off the more interesting parts of the story to make the superhero stuff happen a little bit more. Yeah. I think that's how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. Again, don't think it's bad. Especially look forward to re-watching this at some stage and mm. understanding the whole, um, re-examining it that way. But yeah, I'm going to go with episode nine. What about your favourite episode? Obviously, it's episode six. Um, the focus is on Hooded Justice, on Will, on the family history. It's, be- it's beautifully put together. It's moving. It's fascinating. It's fucking cool to watch. Um, it tells me so much. It tells me a history that I didn't know I wanted to know about mm-hmm. these about a character that didn't really give much thought 
in the original graphic novel, but now becomes the most interesting character mm-hmm. um, in the, the whole canon. Um, just like one of the best episodes of television I've certainly watched this year yep. that I can recall in recent history. Just, yeah, like I said, masterful, masterful episode. I agree. Episode six, this is extraordinary being is... Not just the best episode of this season, is one of the best episodes of TV this year, if not in a long time. So masterfully put together, just his execution is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Its story is compelling and emotional and meaningful and important. And in terms of what it does for making this season not just a worthy uh, successor to Watchmen, mm. but retroactively somehow making Watchmen better yeah like it adds to the law in a way that makes this whole world mm. richer better that's mm. an incredible legacy for this episode to have yeah and the and especially because it's a fucking risk right you have to be you have to go on a limb to feel like that you can author the explanation to a 34 year old mystery or element of a story that's been left unanswered Mm -hmm. to come in and go, you know what? I'm not the original creator, but I'm going to come in and say this. Yeah. Takes fucking guts. It does. And I have a lot of respect for someone who is willing to do that. Ryan Johnson. And in this case, Damien Lindelof. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I just tip my hat. I think it's a brilliant episode. I think, yeah, it does take a lot of guts to do it. Um, To do it this well. Yes. Is... I think unlike anything I've seen before, like it's kind of to take someone else's text and interpret it, it's so well done. Yes. It is so, so well done. And I, yeah, I don't think I've seen that before. Uh, I said Damon Lind. I said Damon Lindelof probably. I said Damon Lindelof, but I want to also tip my hat to Stephen Williams, of course, who directed this and Cord Jefferson, who also wrote this episode and in general, the entire writing team of Watchmen. Mm. I think, uh, yeah. yeah, just exceptional. Directors, exceptional writers, everybody. So everybody well involved as... Lindelof himself says in the Watchmen podcast, this is a group effort. This is a we, not an I. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he's right. Predictions, hopes, concerns for a Watchmen season three. I guess. Or a season two, I should say, but it would be the third time. Yeah. Yeah. I both hope and am concerned by the prospect of a season two. Yep. I'd love to have more. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's to this level, obviously, I'd love to have more. But the concern is that it won't be. Um, But yeah. That, that's really is the trepidation around whether or not a season two should exist, whether it really could exist to this level. I don't know. Sh- I'm not sure. Should this have existed? It's like every part of me says this should not exist. <laughs> and it only gets away with existing because it was faithful, yet original, and damn well mm-hmm. executed. Yes. And it's... <laughs> very hard thing to pull Isn't it off. It's amazing to be faithful and original. It's incredible. That's so hard to balance. To yeah. feel like an authentic continuation, but to be original in a story that's telling mm-hmm. and in how it's executed is so hard to pull off. Mm-hmm. And it's a magic trick that it happened, which is why I don't want there to be a second season. Mm-hmm. I want them to just go, we did it. Mm-hmm. It was great. Let's leave this alone and maybe come back again in 30 years, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's when you do it. When you've got something else to say, when it's time to mm. look back and reflect on the original Watchmen, reflect on this season and go, 
Well, you know what? I think there's another story to be told in this universe. Yeah, if we get another one in five years, I'd be ha- I'd be happy with that. Yeah, do it a ways from now. Yeah. Let's see where the world's at and what's worth telling. I don't think telling another one right now makes a lot of sense. Especially yeah, because- don't do a true detective, please, of like, this well, was really good, get something out too now. Too quickly, yeah. yeah. I like. I also think that like that this world is so rich. There probably are other stories you could tell, mm-hmm. but at what point is it diminishing returns? And at what point does the reflex to try to keep including the legacy of it start mm. to become a, uh, a hindrance to actually telling the original story? Yeah. Maybe make something else. Maybe let Lindelof or some of the other people involved in this go and make a different story that's not this. Mm-hmm. Have the have the guts to turn to tell something original and not have to lean on the property. Maybe. Mm. Because I, I don't think you can keep pulling this trick off. No, particularly eventually. because the worldview is so specific. Yes. Um, that, yeah, diminishing returns is a great way to put it. Um, to revisit that kind of story. Um, it's probably going to be exhausting both to the creators and the viewers. And to, I think, and to the world. It, it will exhaust its potential. Yes. And then something starts to become a little less, less special the more you keep... Mm. Poking at it. Poking at it, yeah, <laughs> mm. absolutely. Don't... You can over-examine something to the point where it becomes stale or bland or yeah yeah, loses its magic we are melting so we're going to finish there thank you very much for listening to this episode of hunting seasons you can find more of what we do via our website huntingseasonspodcast.com our logo and design work comes from sean kirkpatrick aka at shawnee boy draws our theme song and bumpers from lucas hartler birthday loyalty club find links to their work in our show notes you can also find myself broderick gordis on twitter at b gordis b-g-o-r-d-e-s damask you can find me on twitter at maskymoo m-a-s-k-y-m-o-o Next episode, next review episode, we'll be back to discuss The Mandalorian Season 1. Mm-hmm. That will be in a couple of weeks. Yes. It, time permitting, we're going to try and have a off-topic, hot-topic, end-of-year wrap-up episode. We're not going to do a Christmas episode or a holiday episode like we did no. last year. No time this year. Just haven't so. had time to do it. All the good, te- all the interesting TVs come out at the end of the year just to really make this <laughs> difficult for us. Um, but we'll try and have one of those out sometime between Christmas and New Year. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't happen, apologies, but we will be back in 2020, early 2020, with our review of The Mandalorian Season 1. In the meantime, thank you again for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.